This is A-State Connections on KASU. I'm Jonathan Reeves. This is a weekly segment called A-State Connections and Create at State, Making Connections the Count. In this segment, we hear presentations during this year's virtual Created State Symposium. These are presentations from the College of Liberal Arts and Communication. Up first is Matthew Emery with a presentation, A Historical Look at Distrust in Contemporary Media. We're looking at contemporary media, so the media we have today. And and I guess um, one thing to elaborate on is the media part. I guess by that, I mean the American news media, the journalists, right? Um, We are looking at the current state of that um, because, in my opinion, it is not in a healthy state. And I think a lot of people would agree with me there, right? Um, I think in the last few years, we've seen this rise of fake news, right? These um allegations and in some instances truths right where just about everybody in america knows or has heard of the term fake news right it's it's haunting um journalism right now um and i think 2020 was such a uh, culmination of everything in a sense Uh, i think the u.s presidential election had a huge um, huge influence over um, how Americans perceive media and specifically the distrust they have for the American news media. Um, and I think the COVID-19 pandemic played into that as well with all this disinformation, this fake news, um, just people just reluctant, hesitant to believe things, right? Um, so I believe that there's this rising distrust in our news media right now. What my paper does is I am drawing an analog to where we're at right now to the 1940s in America. Um, And you may be asking, you know, why the 1940s? What's what's so interesting about the 40s? Um, The 40s, in my opinion, and what my paper goes on to talk about is, well, we were actually in a very similar spot in the forties that we're in right now, when it comes to American news media, In the forties, there was a boom of new technology that left journalism in a very, um, a very sensitive spot. Right. Um, and then came, you know, practices like yellow journalism, which just destroyed the trust that the American citizens had in the press so much. So, that a lot of people felt like the First Amendment was at risk. Um, And so to combat that, these intellectuals at the time out of the University of Chicago, um, they met, they formed a group that would be known as the Hutchins Commission, um, and they laid the bedrock for American journalism for years to come. And they did this as a way to secure and protect the First Amendment freedoms that the press enjoys here in America. Um, And ultimately, that's what my paper is about, is drawing this analog between the 40s and now. Um, Similarities, like the similar problems they faced that we're facing, and specifically, what did the commission do to address those issues and regain that trust in the American citizens? And that's what we're doing with my paper. Um, We're looking at the issues that are causing this distrust currently. This distrust has been documented by the Edelman Barometer, the Harris Poll, 
Um, it's very clear that the American citizens do not trust American media right now. Um, so we are trying to analyze, okay, we know that this is the situation we're in. What can we do to rectify and earn back the trust of the American people? And we do that by looking at the Hutchins commissions from the forties. Um, and the ultimate conclusion that I draw in the paper is that we need a Hutchins Commission 2.0 to form and lay a new groundwork, a new bedrock for journalism, uh, something to get us through this digital age that not even the Hutchins Commission could have predicted. Um, we need a new bedrock to carry us through the digital age and beyond and restore our trust with the American people and protect the First Amendment for the press. And that was Matthew Emery. Next is William Parker with a presentation, The Science of Grants Administration. To start things off, I want to provide a brief background on grants management. But what are grants? To quote grants.gov, grants are, quote, the way governments funds your ideas and projects to provide public services and stimulate the economy, end quote. Not all grants are governmental. Indeed, there are also corporate and foundation grant makers. However, federal grants to state and local governments, otherwise known as intergovernmental grants, make up the majority. According to data from the Foundation Center and the Office of Management and Budget from 2015, the most recent year for which data is available for comparison, there were over 10 times as many intergovernmental grants as there were grants from other non-governmental sources in 2015. Together, these figures represent nearly $700 billion in grants from over 86,000 corporate and foundation and 26 federal grant-making organizations. Not only is that a lot of money going out, but it's a lot coming in which is where the role of grant professionals becomes ever so important. There were over 42,000 recipients of discretionary and block grants in the federal government's fiscal year 2021, which means 42,000 subnational government entities needed personnel to manage these grants, and likely others too. While the Bureau of Labor Statistics does not collect data on grant professionals as an employment category, the categories of fundraiser and public relations and fundraising managers have been used as anecdotal data to indicate the number of professionals in the field, which equates to just over 160,000. This lack of data regarding grant professionals is important to note, however, as it hints at the main issue I'm going to be talking about, which is the lack of scholarship about grants management as a profession. So searching library databases using grants as a key term yields many results, most of which deal with the technical writing concepts used in developing grant proposals. Refining our search to public administration journals, we see a growing trend in scholars critiquing problems with intergovernmental grants while also acknowledging their relevance to public policy. We can also see this culminating in national politics, such as in the 2018 hearing before the House of Representatives Subcommittee on Intergovernmental Affairs and the subject of federal grant management, in which Representative Gary Palmer, the chairman of the subcommittee, stated, quote, Annually, the federal government loses track of millions of dollars due to a failure to review and reconcile grantee reports in a timely manner. 
It is my hope that this Congress can continue to help this effort with continued oversight of the grant making process, end quote. This hearing was also important because it included witnesses from five federal agencies to discuss methods and needs to streamline intergovernmental grant systems. With such emphasis on improving grants management, the elevation of the grant professional seems warranted as well. Currently, the Grant Professionals Association and Certification Institute offers the only credentialing process awarded through psychometric evaluation of core competencies, which we'll discuss in a moment, and is accredited by a third-party accreditation entity, the National Commission on Certifying Agencies. The organization administers its own academic journal, in which dozens of articles and strategy papers can be found relating to this very subject of grants management education, particularly the need for a degree conferring program in which addition, in addition to the certified grant professional credential to fully professionalize the field. An attempt to find these articles through Arkansas State University's library system yields no results, however, which further signifies the professionals in the field are attempting to find a home within a deeper epistemological purpose, i.e. grants management um, is the epistemology and public administration is the deeper concept. Uh, in other words, grants management degree programs do not yet exist because the concepts in the field have yet to be connected with the larger, deeper school of thought. Looking at the GPCI core competencies as what would be required for a professional in the field, we can determine they complement the MPA curriculum. Competency one states uh, knowledge of how to research, identify, and match funding resources to meet specific needs. Competency number two is knowledge of organizational development as it pertains to grant seeking. Competency number three is knowledge of strategies for effective program and project design and development. Competency number four is knowledge of how to craft, construct, and submit effective grant applications. Competency number five is knowledge of post-award grant management practices sufficient to inform effective grant design. And competency number six is knowledge of nationally recognized standards of ethical practice by grant developers. Competency number seven is knowledge of practices and services that raise the level of professionalism of grant developers. Competency number eight is knowledge of methods and strategies that cultivate and maintain relationships between fund seeking and recipient organizations and funders. Competency number nine is the ability to write a convincing case for funding. So to wrap this all up and really describe what this project is about, I wanted to briefly note that my research methods for determining the need for a grants management concentration includes doing content analysis of accredited MPA programs to determine the extent to which they align with the GPCI uh, core competencies. Um, and in doing so, um, my hope is to produce results that can be used by MPA faculty to determine the need for a concentration in grants management. Understanding that a qualitative investigation such as this requires stakeholder input, 
Um, I also hope that this presentation will serve as a springboard for larger conversations with the Arkansas State community to help determine if a concentration is needed and what the imp uh, potential impact could be of that. And that was William Parker. Now, to hear more segments like this one, you can subscribe to the Created State Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And take KASU with you wherever you go. Listen to podcast segments on the KASU mobile app. And tell others about the Created State Podcast and leave us a five-star review. As always, we'd love to hear from you. You're listening to A-State Connections and Created State, making connections that count. You're listening to A-State Connections on KASU, streaming live at KASU.org.